Hey, it's Arrow. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or even cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 61, we kick things off with a legendary singer-songwriter by the name of Rick Emmett from one of Canada's greatest rock bands, Triumph. Then we're stepping up to have a true conversation with author Mary McNear, one of her greatest books of all time, The Light in the Summer. Our third conversation is all about the laughs. Actress Novi Brown from the sitcom Sisters. This is PodFest 61. Hi. Good morning, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Arrow. How are you? I hear uh, there might be a hurricane heading towards South Carolina. Absolutely, sir, and we're preparing for it. Yeah, it's going to come right up uh, next to us uh, this, uh, this uh, Saturday and Sunday. So by Monday, we should be hopefully all nice and clear and ready to take on COVID-19 again. <laughs> yeah, wow. Hey, talk about piling on. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, I recently spent some time with the group Tesla, and we were talking about some music they were doing, and, and I go, well, well, what was your inspiration? And dang it, dude, they didn't say, well, probably one of our biggest inspiration, Triumph. And it was like, we must have spent 20 minutes talking about you, Rick. And I hope your ears were wow. burning big time, dude. Yeah, isn't that nice? That's lovely to hear. Um yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, obviously, I left Triumph in 88, but in amongst all of this other stuff that I'm up to, there's also been this uh, very heavy, re, uh, renewed interest in Triumph. There's a documentary that Banger Films is doing, and we, we got to do the Walk of Fame thing here in Canada. And, and um, yeah, it's it's been... Uh, it's it's been a very interesting time period for me. I mean, never mind the the whole isolating sort of thing, and um, it, it just you know Roundhill's putting out my catalog, and people are interested in Triumph and talking about Triumph, and so um, I got a publisher that's interested in looking at what they'd maybe like a memoir or an autobiography. So I guess that it, there there is that old thing about you know how things cycle and circle and yeah. so maybe it's just coming back around again you know it but don't you think that's because you guys put focus on quality music right from the very beginning because it never gets old there's a reason why i want the cd or i want the the ipod to start all over again because i want to hear it again and again and again where the streaming features anymore you you don't get to get you know hear it over and over again yeah well i mean you know we live in a in a digital universe now, and um, if, if that's what you want, if you want to put it on loop and infinite repeat, you can drive yourself crazy if you'd like, Arrow. You know, like that's up to you. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, and, and the part and parcel of it all too is the whole like you know you time travel back to 1980, 81, 82. And that, to me, that was really when Triumph was hitting its stride. You know, the album Allied Forces with Magic Power and Fight yeah. the Good Fight and those kinds of things. I, I really felt the band discovered its heart at that time, you know. Um, and, of course, vinyl. And uh, there's a renewed interest in that and the fact that it gives you a, an audio experience that you can't really get from a digital thing, you know. So... Uh, yeah, there was something that was happening that was good, and it was righteous, and I think I had sort of figured out, if you're writing songs and you're calling your band Triumph, well, then your song better be something <laughs> yeah. that speaks to that positive, uplifting kind of value, you know, so, yeah. 
Well, and it's also because you've you've also explored music deeply with that guitar. I mean, look at what you've even done with your solo career. The way that you you know, I, I love the fact that you've gone into a little bit of jazz with that guitar, and there's the, and, and then folk songs for the for the farewell bonfire, where it sounds like I'm sitting right there in the room with you. You know exactly who your listener is. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, sometimes. I mean, jazz is like 1% of the marketplace. So when you make decisions like that creatively, you know you're leaving some folks behind. They're not going to go with you. But I also feel like um, if you're an artist, you are supposed to be looking at the horizon and you're supposed to be trying to go to new places and try different things and challenge yourself. And then that means you're challenging your listener too. You're sort of saying, look, come along with me on this journey and let's see if, if we can't find something new inside ourselves, you know. Um, so the artist does it, and then I think, you know, the, the listener, the, the, the person on the other end of it, they're the ones that also go, well, I never thought I'd like this, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if Uncle Ricky's going there, I'm going too, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> and plus, plus, on top of that, you're not afraid of a writing instrument. I mean, look at a manuscript of poetry, reinvention and stuff like that, because that's taking your, your listener as well as your readers to a completely different level. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, it, I will grant you that I was a guy that, you know, wore spandex pants and jumped around between the flash pots and the laser lights, and, you know, uh, I was a performer on that level, and I was happy to do it. I liked it. I was 100% committed to that kind of a thing. But there was always a part of me that also loved Paul Simon and James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen, and, like, it's writing for writing's sake, uh, and those people... You know, they saw themselves as artists right from the get-go, and uh, that was always a big part of the integrity that I felt. And maybe, you know, going back to your original thing about the Tesla guys, and maybe that was one of the things that they liked about Triumph was the integrity of the writing of, yes. of um, songs that were functioning on more of a level than just, hey, we're having a party, isn't this great? You know, <laughs> it was more about who are we and why are we here? And poetry for me was... It was a lovely kind of going off on a tangent thing because when you're writing song lyrics, you're really trapped by the architecture of rhyme and meter, and you know it's it's a this, you know verse chorus verse chorus. There's a repetitive kind of thing that's it's part of the nature of it. When you write poetry, you can step out of that and you can go you know go to a new place creatively. So I enjoyed that challenge. Was was it you reaching toward the art of music and poetry, or were you being called to it? They're saying, Nick, uh, Rick, uh, I'm tapping you on the back. You have to answer this call. Yeah, exactly. You're 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 touching on the heart of the. <laughs> well, is you know, uh, is it is it your own ego, or is it that you're? It's a calling. It's an avocation. You know, and I do think that. I, lots of times, people will say to me, you know, geez, Rick, uh, you know. You're, 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 you've been so lucky, and I have been lucky, but I was also, I was kind of being called. You know, yeah. once I picked up the guitar and it, it was starting to work for me, it was almost like the guitar was the thing that was leading me. It was this, um, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you know, I was kind of being, yeah, and and uh, maybe that's true for all artists, you know, whether you're Van Gogh and you're cutting off your ear or you're, you know, you're... Leonard Cohen, and you're going, well, I, you know, I, like, I can't help this voice that I have. It's a gift from God. <laughs> Dude, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. 
Well, thank you, man. Appreciate that. You bet. You be brilliant. Be very safe this weekend, okay? Yes, indeed. I shall. You too. Unplugged and totally uncut with Mary McNear. Good morning, Mr. Collins. I'm very well. Thank you. Are you hanging out at a donut shop right now, sipping on a Pepsi? Well, not not right at this exact moment, but as you know, yes, I like to write my novels in a donut shop. I, I love that because I love going over to the Billy Graham Library and just sitting there inside the, the, the garden and just writing because there's a free spirit about it. Are you feeling the same thing? I do, and I also, I find writing can be so lonely, so... I try not to do it by myself, and I find if you get used to doing it in public, you can you can shut out what's happening around you, or you can also just key into it. You know, I'm I'm not too proud to admit that I've actually cribbed lines of dialogue from conversations I've overheard in public. I love that. I love that because what you're doing, I call that uh, speaking the street. You you have learned the fine art of bringing real language to the pages. And it's so much fun, too. Now, I find that as a woman over 40, when it comes to younger people, uh, teenagers, people in their early 20s, I'm basically invisible, which is great. (laughs) It's like the invisibility cloak in the Harry Potter novels. They pay no attention to me whatsoever. (laughs) So I really have, I've heard some, some wonderful things that people have said to each other, and I always make a point of filing them away for later. Has it, has it opened up the door for you to adopt the, the language of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everything? I mean, it's helped. And then the other thing that's really helped is um, in, my, in my most recent novel, uh, The Light in Summer, there is a, um, one of the characters in the novel has a 13-year-old son. <laughs> so that was hard for me to write his dialogue. But I also, you know, I, will, um, I have a daughter who's 18, so not a perfect fit. But I'll just, I'll ask people that I see in public. <laughs> I saw a young man with a skateboard the other day coming in to the donut shop to get a soda and I said I said come on here you know I said <laughs> we talked for a minute and I said is this something you would say and I'm sure he thought I was crazy but <laughs> But I have to use what I can, right? Absolutely. It reminds me so much of when I when I was in school and I would read like The Outsiders and things like this. It's it's creating that connection with real people because your your readers are real people as well and you write so well. I call it painting a room. Oh, I love that expression. That's wonderful. Now, now to bring it forward like you do, that takes a lot of courage and everything because a lot of artists like to hide. How is it that you're able to release things like this? Um, well, you know, I think I originally, I originally started writing these novels at a very, um, I really did it in response to a crisis in my own life, which was, and in my son's life. So when my son was three, he was diagnosed with an autistic spectrum disorder. So originally, um, and I, and it was very stressful as you can imagine for him, for our family. But I thought, you know, if I could just set aside an hour every day to write, um, I thought I needed to have something for myself, right? Something just to keep me sane. And that's really, um, that's really where these, 
novel started. And um, and I should tell you that my son um, is 22 now, and he's doing really Aww. well. So we we came through that crisis together. But I mean, I think writing is many different things to many different kinds of writers. But I think there are a lot of us out there who uh, find that it helps us stay sane. Well, and, and that's the reason why I created the channel View from the Writing Instrument, because there are so many writers, like you say, but there's also a lot of hider writers. In other words, they write, but then they quickly hide what they put down. Yes, absolutely. And so what no, they're doing... No, I think that's true. Because they're, they're, then they're listening to oh. your voice, and they're listening to how you still are strong enough to be that writer. So, and, and that's what's fascinating about talking with you, is that you can hear that energy and that passion in your voice. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it's really, it's very therapeutic for me. And I hope too that, um, you know, I, I, I don't write really kind of, I don't have kind of gritty realism in my novels. I, I want them to be very much an escapist pleasure for the reader. But I also feel like there needs to be emotional realism mm-hmm. in them. And I hope that's something my readers respond to. Because, of course, we want to escape. Of course, we want to have fun when we read. But we also want to read about people and situations that we can identify with in our own lives. Is is that the reason why The, the Light in Summer was released during the summer months? Because you know as a human being that these are the months where we kind of drop our guard and allow new things to grow inside of us. And this book just fits perfectly into that. Oh, I know. I love that about summer. It is such, it's a season filled with so much possibility, you know, and I find that, um, romance, yes, but also, um, discovery and mystery. I don't know. There's something about us spending more time outside, maybe, um, you know, at nighttime, we're not huddled, we're not huddled inside <laughs> trying to stay warm, like in the winter. It's just, um, yeah, it just strikes me as, as the one season that, that just has the greatest sense of possibility. Well, also, you, you, you cover a subject here that a lot of people can relate with in the summer, and it's the relationship between Billy Harper and her dog. Yes, that's right. So one of the main characters of the novel is a Labrador retriever uh, named Murphy. And what's wonderful about him, as as um, many of your listeners who have dogs and cats will know, is that he's a great listener. He does not interrupt, and best of all, he's not judgmental. (laughs) So he's someone (laughs) in the evenings when Billy sits out on her back porch. He's someone who keeps her company, and um, she can kind of just uh, bounce things off of him. And um, I think we all need more of that in our life, non-judgmental listeners. Totally with you. Totally. My my, my Chinese Crested is in this studio with me every single day. And so, and you know, there are times that she'll look up at me like, dude, that was a bad question. Come on, get your act together. (laughs) (laughs) But she's got your back, right? Absolutely. (laughs) But but what's great about Billy is that you have made her and, and brought her to life in a way that perfection is not a number one category. Because we live in this society where we all have to be perfect. But not Billy. 
No, I know. And it's so, um, you know, in the beginning of the novel, we find out that, um, I don't know that she's been avoiding romantic relationships, but she um, she's a single mother, she works full time, and I think she's just decided on some level, if it can't be perfect, right, the way it is in some novels, what's the point? Well, the point, of course, is that um, is that you know it's it's perfection, and is not necessary for happiness. And she really um, she really learns that um, that it's okay for it not to be perfect. That ultimately, the important thing is for it to be real. So she really learns to take a risk um, during the summer in her life. Now, now, did you set out to release this book for the summer months? Because being in radio for 37 years, I've talked to so many bands that say, no, it, it just happened to come out during the summer months and then it became a soundtrack. So, yes. So um, when I published the first uh, book in the series, Up at Butternut Lake in 2014, yep. Yep. Um, that was that was pu- that was published in May. And so there was a second book in August of that year. But every other book has come out um, in the summertime. And I just love the idea of people who who either can get away and want to bring a great book or can't get away, but want to feel like they've gotten away to be able to just, you know, toss a book in their bag and just escape, even if it's only for a few hours at a time. Do you think that there's going to be that transition from book to manuscript to movie to where you're going to connect that way through through to us visually, basically? Oh, I would love that so much. Right now, what I'm working on is actually the sixth book in the series, nice. which will be published um, summer 2018. Yes. So, so now when... when because I'm an author too, but when 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 a book idea comes to me, it hits me like a flooded stream. Is it the same way for you? When even when you're doing the book number six in a series, or is it this whole entire project came to you at one moment, and now you're just you're just playing out the role? So you know, sometimes a little bit of both, I guess, would be the best answer. I mean, the very first book in the series is about a, a widowed mother with a a three-year-old son who comes back to Butternut Lake because it's the place she spent her childhood summers. And I actually got the idea for that novel, um, you know, watching uh, the local news. There was a piece on a, on a woman and her son, and she had recently been widowed uh, because her husband was stationed with a National Guard unit in Afghanistan. And I started thinking about... Um, you know, what would happen in their lives now? Now, of course, I I knew I would never find out, you know, but I also knew that I could sort of imagine a future for them. And I had this image of them arriving at a cabin late at night. Mm -hmm. And that really was the genesis for the first novel. Now, let me ask you this question. You just took me down a completely different road here when you were talking about that you really didn't know, you know, what they were going to be doing in their real life. Even as that author, when you close that book and you send it to the publisher, do you know what happened to their lives or do you let mystery become your next feeding instrument? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, um, it's interesting because sometimes um, even after the novel's over, I stay with the characters, nice. <laughs> and I might not wrote. I might not. I'm not going to necessarily devote another novel to them. Although 
because they live in the same community, they may recur again in another book. Do sort of check in with them mentally <laughs> and emotionally and think, what are they doing now? Um, you know, what's happening in their lives? It really, it's kind of like, um, they feel like family to me, and I, I hope they feel that way to readers as well. <laughs> you know, when you write stories like this, it inspires readers to become writers. Have it, has anybody reached out to you to say, because of you, I am well, people, you know, I, I have definitely met people who are would-be authors who are looking for advice, and I have to say, one thing I told them that can be discouraging, um, although I don't mean it to be, I said, you know, it, these years, these novels were many years in the writing, and I said, you know, between the time I started uh, writing them and the time the first one got published, I think... Um, Oh, I think there was like a 15-year time lag, which I know can sound discouraging, but it went really quickly. <laughs> and I have to say that the only way I knew to learn how to write a novel was just to start writing them, which means you're probably going to start out, you're going to write some not-so-great novels. Yep, yep. The important thing is to keep going and to keep learning. That's what's fascinating about about writers. I, there's there's an author across the street, and and he and I will get together. And he he admitted to me last week. He goes, "Yeah, I had some wine, and I killed off a character." Dude, what what, what did? Now, have you ever been in a situation <laughs> like that? <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I can tell you that um, definitely the kind of mood you're in can affect the way you're writing. And I remember once being in a really bad mood and. I realized my my character was having a really bad day in the novel, which can happen. Um, but I thought, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I should stop and take a yoga class or something, right? It's really easy to let our own lives intrude on their lives. Hi, Arrow. Hi, How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, amazing. I love that energy. Yes. <laughs> hey, congratulations on yet another season of Tyler Perry's Sisters. I mean, you have become that mental escape for so many people out here on this side of the flat screen. That's big. Thank you. Especially during a time like this. That's big. Thank you. I really like the way you worded that, too. <laughs> Now, now, Novi, one of the things that I've noticed, especially during the, the mid part of season number one, was the fact that the way the show is designed, it's, it's about ladies who are in their 30s. But the thing is, though, is that I have neighbors whose kids are in their 20s, and I've got older people that are all sitting there do talking about your lives. You're like in the perfect place for every generation. You're right. And you know what? I think me and Lee, y'all are going to have to take that, what you said, and quote you because right. we are in a perfect spot. We are right in that spectrum. And I feel like with the older people, they're like, ooh, I remember when I used to be like that. <laughs> and they can laugh about it now, which is the cool thing about aging. And the young people are panicking and having anxiety, trying to avoid all those things. So right. like you said, I think it's that beautiful middle ground of, yes, we're in our 30s. Yes, we could be professional, but maybe we don't make the best choices sometimes. And I think I feel like that's uh, what just people want to feel good about that, because that perfection idea that we have in society is just really detrimental to our authentic selves, you know? And so when you're seeing these women all cute and dressed up and doing their thing, and then, what, Gary? You would hang out with Gary, though? Like, and then, you know, you see that juxtaposition? It just makes people human. And that's what people love about good TV. 
Now, Mignon, the, when, when you step into Danny's shoes behind that camera, what is it like for you, that actual change? Or are you bringing yourself forward and Danny becomes you? That's such an interesting question because I've been trying to figure out the perfect wording for it because, I mean, I see myself as an advocate for her and um, I always look for the truth in what she's doing, even if it's big and it's like, what the heck? No one acts like that. Um, I'm always trying to ground it in truth, but I often, often, often lend my experience to her in the sense that I'll use it to relate to what she's going through, her emotional state and trying to figure out, okay, what am I advocating for? And what in my own life can I use to step into her shoes? And so I kind of see myself as like, you know, her lawyer, but talking about what she wants as her, like talking in the first person as Danny, if that makes any sense. So being her while having like the split consciousness, it's acting is fun <laughs> <laughs> and hard. Kids yeah, yeah. hard. <laughs> well, what about you, Novi, when it comes to Sabrina, Sabrina, because I mean, you know, words are words on a script, but man, you've still got to, you've got to electrify those paragraphs. Absolutely. And for us, there's actually a lot of communi silent communication that we all really love and we all work on. And there's a lot of moments that, especially as actors, we love those moments in between where we don't have to say anything. Um, are we able to emote that? So for me, I always tell actors the best experience and for you to become a great actor is life experience. That's the only way you, you got to get your heart broken. You got to get your ass kicked. Sometimes you got to, you know, get into fights. You just, you got to live your life. And, um, you know, it, it, going through that, it, those emotions, I feel like are gifts. I don't feel like we should avoid them. And I, and I feel like the ladies and I were very, very blessed to even do that for a living, to express ourselves and our emotions. And it's okay. So, you know, um, we're very, very blessed when it comes to this whole experience. Now, for the two of you, the one thing that I've read about about sisters and and, Ty, and this Tyler Perry sisters is the fact that you guys are in that quarantine bubble. What what you know for us on this side of the flat screen, we don't understand that. I mean, we we see the pictures, we read the stories, but but you're living it, and and it really is the future. Wow! You know what? I think I hang out after this. I don't know. You sure? You know it. You know. Just thank you for your acknowledgement because that's that's a you know a thing. It's it took a lot. I think people didn't realize. I don't even think I fully realized and ingested how serious it is what we were doing. You know, with hundreds of people, a new um, you know situation going on with our health globally. So just taking that risk and being there. And then having to roll with the punches and then having to do 100, 122 pages a day and all these other things and, and you know, shooting in less days and doing all the episodes and all that other stuff. It was definitely a lot, but I feel like the overall goal was to just show the world that yes, okay, we're in a, a state of shifting and change, but that doesn't mean that the creativity has to stop. It doesn't mean that the connection has to stop. And, um, you know, shout out to our cast and our crew, our editors who's killed all the season's material. We didn't even get to take any new pictures, right, men? We were sad that we didn't get to do our season two. <laughs> but we look back. That's all my words are for not taking more pictures. <laughs> well, congratulations on season two of Tyler Perry's Sisters. You guys have got to come back to the show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. 
you. Yes. You be brilliant today, okay? Thank you. Be safe. Likewise.